Gonzaga Nation SI, we have a tremendous guest today, one of the insiders across the country from the field of 68 Media Network, Jeff Goodman. Jeff, thanks for joining. Good to see you, my man. It's been a while. Uh, Hopefully your summer's going well and all the kids are good. Yeah, life's life's good, although summer hasn't started here. We had a downpour in Spokane. We've only had one 70-degree day. I think you're in the Northeast. You guys are about to have a, a, a hot streak, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we've already hit it, finally. I mean, it took through half of May, but we finally got our, our consistent 70s and 80s and hit the beach uh, here this past weekend. So you, you'll get it soon enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the nice things about that means the NBA season is just about done. The NBA draft is right around the corner. Uh, I've kept my close eye on the Boston Celtics throughout this season because Ime Udoka is a friend of mine. You look at the other uh, assistant coaches on that staff. They're, they're guys that I've known and played against for a number of years. But you're in that pocket of the country. What are you seeing uh, excitement-wise with the Celtics, and what are your predictions for the NBA Finals? Listen, I, I reached out to you immediately when the Celtics hired Ime because I didn't know him. You know, I know Damon Stoudemire. I know you. Um, you know, people up there, obviously, he's entrenched in, in the Portland area. Um, I didn't know what to expect. It's funny, Bob Ryan, the longtime uh, NBA writer, said he's never seen anybody um, get more compliments before ever having coached a game than he may. And he was kind of skeptical. He, he was like, and, and I was too, like, ah, let's see. I don't know him. I, who knows? The dude has been unbelievable. I give him more credit than Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Brad Stevens, Stan, all of them. Without Ime, there's no way in hell they've turned this thing around. They needed a guy to hold them accountable, especially Tatum and Jalen Brown, because there, there had been some bad habits developed, number one. Number two, Brad Stevens, who I think the world of. I think he's an unbelievable coach. I just think they had tuned him out to a certain point. And sometimes you need a guy who's going to jump you. And Ime's not only done it privately, he's done it publicly to these dudes. When they were 25 and 25 on January 28th, he went after them. And, and this is a group that needed it. They Again, they got into some bad habits. They, they weren't moving the basketball. They weren't playing together. I said it publicly, Dan. I was like, it looks like Tatum and Jalen Brown have never played basketball together. And uh, and Tatum kind of gets on me about that now. He, he said, you know, I, he he understands where I was coming from. He said he thought it was a little too far, and, and I get that. Um, but, again, Ime pushing all the right buttons, both with their personalities and also on the court, X's and O's. I mean, to me, he's been – listen, if you revote. How is he not the coach of the year? Yeah, probably. Especially, like you said, I mean, 25 and 25 at that point, you might not make the playoffs. And then you make that big run at the end of the year. But you mentioned kind of Brad Stevens as one of the guys that was the architect of a lot of that alongside Danny Ainge. Um, Not a lot of college coaches have gone to the NBA and had success. You've had some here or there. Um, If you look at the overall landscape of college basketball right now, is there one, maybe two college coaches that you could pick up, put them in the pros, and they're going to have success. Yeah, the guy who just retired, Jay Wright. Yeah. You know, he, he'd be one. And I would assume as soon as that Sixers job opens, whenever that is, I would think they would go after him. Now, is he done done? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think after a year or two off, he, he might change his tune. 
Um, I think he was done with kind of the way, and I know you and I are going to get into the NIL and the transfer portal and all that. I think he saw the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. He hadn't even gone through it yet. He didn't hit the portal. Villanova had one guy. They had one guy on their team, Caleb Daniels, who transferred. So he hadn't really dealt with the portal all that much or NIL, but I think he knew it was coming. And, and he was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm, I'm tapping out before I ever deal with it. Um, I think Jay Wright and Bill Self would be the other one. I think Bill just has the first of all, he's a hell of a coach, yeah. right? He's, he's an elite level coach. Sean Miller says it all the time. He thinks he's the best coach in, in college basketball. And then beyond that, he's so good with people. That's the part, like, like, I don't think Tom Izzo could go into the NBA and deal with the egos of the NBA. I think Bill Self could figure it out. Is he going to love it? Maybe not. But I think kind of like Billy Donovan, they were similar in kind of their personalities. It took a while for Billy to figure it out, and he was maybe cursed is the wrong word, but he he, he inherited Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Yeah. And, like, try to call a play for Russell Westbrook. Like, you can't. You can't. So I think he learned over the years, and he's got a better group now in Chicago that fits him, and he's able to actually coach guys like DeRozan and Zach Levine and, and, and Lonzo. With with all the, the craziness of the transfer portal, NIL, having to kind of re – kind of reset your terms on how you want to run a program and, and how you want to build things. Do you think Jay Wright's just the beginning of, and I, he's not an old coach, but he's been there for a while uh, of this group of coaches that might be enough's enough. I'm done. So I don't know how, I think he's my age. I think Tony Bennett is like 50, right around 50. The over under for me on Tony Bennett is five more years in college. Five more. Like, I just don't see a guy like Tony Bennett dealing with all this NIL stuff long-term. Now, can he get to the NBA? I don't know. Could he just say, you know what, I'm done in a couple of years? I don't know. But, yes, I think there'll be guys like that. I think some of the, you know, like the Brad Underwoods of the world, they're probably not happy. You know, Fuey will be an interesting one. Like, the one thing with Fuey is he's got his deal there. Um Gonzaga's been, been able to recruit at such a high level lately, and they've got some NIL money, obviously. Do they have enough to compete with the SEC schools? Probably not. But how often is Gonzaga recruiting against the SEC schools anyway? Rarely. So yeah. I think when the day comes when, when Fury feels like they can't compete recruiting against you know, not again, not, not to get Jet, Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs, but that next tier guys, right? The, the Nolan Hickmans of the world, if he can't compete to get some of those guys, I think then you could see kind of, you know, him, because he's always talked about how he's not a lifer, right? I mean, he's not going to be a 70-year-old head coach, but I, I don't know. I mean, again, as long as they keep winning, I feel like he'll keep coaching, but this this is a frustrating component for a lot of coaches that have been in it for a while. Yeah, one of the most frustrating scenarios I could have imagined as a head coach was the deal that went on in Miami where Nigel Pack agrees a booster says we're going to give you x amount Isaiah Wong was like hold up a second I just got us deep into the tournament I need to re-up a deal here that's the one that's been out in the open but is there maybe another story that's kind of been simmering under the under the surface that it hasn't been known of yet or is just the Miami one just that interesting well it got out there publicly that's the difference you know, obviously you've got a lot of players right now that are putting their names in the portal to demand more money. 
yeah. mean, think about it. If that's the best way to get leverage, right? It's not to just stay and say, hey, coach, how much more money are you going to give me NIL if I come back? It's, well, I'm going to put my name in the portal. I'm going to also put my name in the, in the, in the draft. And now I've got the ultimate leverage. Now, again, the coach can decide, hey, I'm done. I'm going to move on and, and, and go in a different direction in the portal. But uh, that kid then has leverage. Again, he's in for the draft. He's also in the portal. So he's got all these other schools bidding for his services as well. And these collectives um, reaching out. And it, it's just, man, it's, it's chaotic. That's the best word for it right now. You know, you can say you're in favor of kids getting paid and, and making some money, which I am. I just, I don't know if I like the, here, here's what I think could happen though. What if right now, a lot of these kids are not supposed to be paid um, coming into school as a recruiting inducement, but we know they are. Yeah. What if I'm a parent of a kid and I say, and my kids rank like 75th right now, and I go pay off a couple of these recruiting guys to do the rankings. And I say, you know what? I'm going to give you $50,000 if you move me up in the top 25. And to a recruiting guy, fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a shit, that's that's a shit ton of money. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, there's going to be other ways here to navigate. And then if you're in the top twenty-five, what do you, what can you do? You can command more nil because of your ranking, right? Your ranking partially determines what you can maybe get from nil. Now, again, our, some coaches may not fall for that trick, but who knows? All yeah, I'm saying is like you're playing the long game now and you're saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put in 50 grand to hope to make 200. Yeah. But then if you get to the wrong spot, it, it's all going to be gone anyways in, in a very short amount of time. And you, you said the long game, I, I think that's not being looked at by enough people right now is because these NIL deals, they're will evaporate if you're not performing plus your opportunities to really advance your career and have longevity at the professional level. If you're good enough, you got to be ready. You, you got to be enough skilled and you got to be professional about your work craft, not professional, just about your business side. But wanted to ask about Gonzaga because there's a big date coming up. Obviously you and I are talking on Tuesday morning in about 48 hours. Everybody's going to know for certain is Julian Strother and is Drew Timmy coming back. What's the latest that you're hearing or, or what is your gut telling you? The latest I'm hearing is Drew Timmy wants to leave. He wants to go pro. He's done everything he could do other than win a national title. Drew Timmy's done anything you could have asked him to do. Now, again, could he finish out and get his degree and never have to deal with taking another class? Sure. He's probably pretty close anyway, if I had to guess, going to summer schools and whatnot. You know, you're probably talking – you know, a half dozen classes away if he, if he, if he did everything right so far, um, you know, he could probably make more money. Maybe it depends where he gets drafted, right? If he gets drafted in the thirties, he'll make more money with that contract than, than he will uh, going back to Gonzaga. If he's a two-way guy who gets drafted in the fifties, then you could make a case that he would make more money going back to Gonzaga through NIA potentially. So not an easy decision for him, but I understand he's watching all these other dudes leave, you know, Kofi Coburn, he's watching him and saying, all right, well, like he doesn't fit in today's NBA. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I can, yeah, I, I get it. I don't fit either. 
Um, but to me, again, it's one of those things where I think he's got a tough decision, but I think he just, he probably is leaning towards leaving where Strother is leaning towards coming back. Well, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there with, you know, hey, Coburn staying in, I'm a better player than him because, you know, I look at Timmy as in the pros, you only have to have one team that loves you, right? And that's what people don't understand typically. You have to have one team that loves you, but he's almost like that knuckleball, that curveball off the bench that he right. don't know how to game plan for that type of guy anymore. So he might intrigue somebody to take a flyer on them, on him earlier than thought. Yeah, no doubt. Like, like to me, that's going to be a tough one. Um, I, I just think, hang on one sec, bear with me one sec. Hey, I get it. It's 36 hours deadline. Yeah, exactly. Your phone's probably exactly. going left and right with guys coming back, yep. uh, withdrawn from the draft as well as NIL deals. But as you're finishing that message, the next question I wanted to kind of pose to you is Chet Holmgren. We knew it was a one and done guy. Yep. Everybody knew it from the day he set foot on campus. I've said throughout the season, he goes no lower than number three. It's been to me, Jabari Smith, Van Carroll, and Chet. Now you're starting to see a lot of rumblings that Jabari Smith is starting to distance himself as the number one pick. Holmgren goes to Van Carroll three. What are you seeing? And is this maybe a smokescreen by Orlando because they really want to pair Suggs and Holmgren together again? Well, if they're smart, again, if you're Orlando and you're Jeff Weltman, their GM, you're putting a new name out there every week that you're interested in because you, you just want buyers. You want people that think you're going to take Jabari and maybe somebody loves them and wants to see if they can move up to that number one spot. Uh, same thing with Chet, same thing with Paolo. Like this is the most wide open number one uh, race we've had in recent memory with three guys that all are very different, but you can make a case for any of the three. Paolo is the most ready physically the most ready to come in and play. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins rookie of the year next year. Um, Chet's probably the furthest away. I think we would agree just looking at his body build, right? I mean, it's going to take him some time, you know, no matter how mentally tough Chet is. And I think he is uh, and, and physically tough. He is in a sense that he's not going to shy away from contact. He's just not going to be able to absorb it against grown men in the NBA. And then you got Jabari who's somewhere in between, right? He's a sweet shooting forward who doesn't really do a whole lot else yet. Um, But he's that versatile forward that the NBA loves right now. You know, listen, when you talk to NBA GMs, the one thing they'll say about Chet over and over and over, you hear the same thing. He's like, I'm scared to take him, but I'm even more scared to miss on him. (laughs) That, That is a dangerous combination if you're a GM sitting at number one. Uh, you don't take him and he turns out to be great um, because fans always have that what if kind of mantra about their their organizations. Um, how about the WCC? I think I've been most impressed with the additions to the league. Steve Lavin going to USD, Todd Golden leaves, but I've talked to Gerlifson a couple of times. He's gotten a number of impact transfers. Marcus Williams from Texas A&M in particular. What's your overall outlook for the WCC after three teams in last year? They look poised to, to solidify themselves again as a very good league. Yeah, I was worried a little bit when Golden left about San Fran, but, but Chris has done a great job, like you said, picking up. And, you know, you've got you to take care of the momentum and certainly getting Chabaz back um, was huge for them to get a guy like that back will, uh, will definitely help. And, 
you know, again, Lav, listen, he can recruit. Yeah. I, listen, Lav can recruit from the beach, and he probably is. He probably is recruiting from the beach right now and still killing it. Um, yeah, I, I think, again, the interesting thing is going to be like, does BYU rebound? You know, do they rebound with, you know, now that they're, they're healthier? Um, last year was just a tough year. They started off so well, and then they got hurt up front, and they just had no answers. And Loner just wasn't what we thought he'd be last season. Um, you know, St. Mary's is St. Mary's. Like, I, I never question Randy Bennett. Oh. <laughs> I don't care what he's got coming back. You know, he, he could have a team full of, uh, I don't want to, you know, throw shade at you and put you with me, but you're not, you're not the young Dan Dick guy. So I'll put you, you, <laughs> me, and, and uh, Rob Doster and a couple other, uh, you know, guys off the street and he'd find a way. He'd just find a way. So um, I, I love Randy. I, I think, again, they will be a top 25 team next year because I just – he's one of those coaches that – there are a few of them now. It used to be Bo Ryan would be that guy for me. No matter what his roster would look like, didn't matter who you knew, who you didn't, who he lost, who he was bringing back, you'd just be like, I'm automatically going to pencil Bo Ryan in Wisconsin in my preseason top 25. Yeah. That should be what I do. I don't think I have him there yet, but I should. I should just automatically put the Gales in the, in the preseason top 25 every single year. Yeah, I had a Randy Bennett on as a guest uh, a week or so ago on, on our podcast, and we talked a number of different topics. And one of the big things for him was, you know, player development. Like, you just have to get guys to buy in. And, and at the upfront part of recruiting is kind of lay out a foundational plan to, to get to the point you're going to be uh, a part of the rotation. And the guys that believe it, they see it come to fruition maybe three years in as opposed to two which a lot of kids want. It's unbelievable what he's doing down there. Well, last question, Jeff, before I let you go, I see the basketball behind you. Yeah. What is that autographed basketball? So that is a 1997 Arizona national championship basketball. Uh, the only team I've really cheered for in my, in my career, you know, I knew I want to do this when I was young. So I have players that I certainly liked, but I wasn't a guy. Once I got to out of college, that was it. I haven't really cheered up until now when my daughter has got me into the Carolina Hurricanes NHL team. And because of her, I'm, I'm a hockey fan. Again, I love them. But um, Arizona basketball was where I fell in love with college hoops. You know, Boston is a it's a pro sports town growing up here. Yeah. So when I went to Arizona, again, I liked college hoops, but not to the level when you go to McHale Center. And those were the heydays. You know, yes. when I first got there, you know, you were talking, they were a big man school. People forget that. It was like Sean Rooks, Ed Stokes. When I got there, and by the time I left there, it was Khalid Reeves and Damon Stoudemire. And then it was Mike Bibby and Miles Simon and Jason Terry and Reggie Geary. And they were just fun to watch. So that that's that's the ball I got. Um, we drove, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time. We drove from Boston to Indy. Uh, for that final four in 97 and uh, it was a blast and that team was so much fun to watch that team was so good that uh, that was my senior year of high school so I knew as a as a high school kid I had to get ready to compete <laughs> against that team as a freshman at UW but I knew some of those guys a little bit being from the northwest Jason Terry was a northwest guy uh, Mike Dickerson was a northwest guy All right, here so give me your give me before we get Mike Dickerson is like the long lost guy that nobody can find. I have tried to get him with all the other guys from this team together on a podcast. And every one of them is like, I'll try to get Mike D, but like, I haven't talked to him in years. I got no idea where he is. 
I, I don't either, but I tell you what, Mike D was one of the best. Had he not had injuries, he would have been a multiple-time all-star. He was unbelievable in the mid-range game. He was a sneaky good defender. He, he didn't get the credit on that Arizona team because Simon had such a great run. But here's my first experience with possible NIL money when I was a high school kid. So I used to always drive up from Vancouver to Seattle to work out at what was called the Pro Club. Lots of NBA guys, pros college guys would work out there in the summers, two a day workouts. I leave the gym after the first workout, Mike Dickerson leaves in a Toyota Land Cruiser. Now, I don't know much about cars at that that time, but that's like a $90,000 SUV at the time. So two hours later, we're both getting back to the gym about the same time, kind of getting loose for the workout. I just look over, I said, Hey, Mike, he's like, what's up, Dan? How'd you get that car, man? He's like, don't worry about it. I was like, Mike, I'm about to be a freshman. I don't know how these things work. Where'd you get the car? He's like, Dan, there's some things you just don't need to know about. <laughs> Midnight loot. Midnight loot, right? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the time, Jeff. It's always good to connect. Uh, enjoy the NBA finals, being that uh, your hometown Celtics are in there. So thanks again for joining.